0: I started trading tapes a few years later. So when I was twelve years old, I started trading tapes, and my friends, I, I was asking them to send me things, and, and you know, I would occasionally buy tapes, ten, fifteen dollars a pop. I did the HTML for John McAdam in exchange for tapes, and John had a very extensive collection, so I got a lot of stuff from him. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Stick to Wrestling. My name is John McAdam. This is the Stick to Wrestling podcast, where we primarily talk about uh, classic pro wrestling, usually from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I say that every week, and every week it's the 80s. And once again, we're going to be talking about a show from the 80s, the 1983 World Class Championship Wrestling Star Wars show from Thanksgiving night, uh, November 24th, 1983. Uh, Before I get into that, I want to invite you to join our Facebook group if you just put in uh search stick to wrestling it'll come right up you have to answer a membership question which you don't even have to do you just say hey i want in and you're in and it's a fun group we talk about all kinds of cool stuff including but not limited to classic pro wrestling we talk about the shows We take questions from our listeners. We didn't do that this week, but we usually do. Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter right now, you can't. I don't know what's going on with my Twitter account. I might have to start a new one. And if you follow me on Twitter, you might have to follow me on the new one again. But with that said, I want to bring on uh, Lance Peterson, uh, my world-class championship wrestling guy. He was great the last time he was on. And Lance is going to talk about the show with us. Lance, thank you for coming on.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. You know, after the last show, I got some such positive feedback from a few people in the uh, actually in the wrestling world uh, that that shocked me some direct messages i couldn't have been uh, you know more pleased it was it was just so nice you know i may not be the silver tongue devil but i try to throw out a, a bunch of information and uh, i'm really looking forward to today as i just told you on fair this is my uh, number one subject this is uh, a lot of people would say maybe texas stadium Carrie von eric win the world title and that that is certainly uh, number 2 but i just can't get past this thanksgiving Eighty-three show.
0: I feel like I picked the right guy. But before we get into that show, you were at the premiere of the Von Erich movie, The Iron Claw. Tell us about that. Well, I went
1: over there uh, with a slim chance that someone was going to get me in there late. Uh, never, They never contacted me. I wasn't planning to go over there in my 50s and stand for three and a half hours, so maybe in my 20s. But I went on over and and uh, I got in line with about 60 people. It wasn't bad at all. They, uh, A24 that does the movie, they brought us water. They brought us the uh, foam finger claws that, you know, you nice. know, foam finger. I, I tweeted those out. It went crazy. And uh, I didn't, you know, that was just kind of an alternate line. Well, I was in there with people that had guarantees into what they called the fan pit. But I got a uh, uh, there wasn't that many of us and I've got an armband and went in and immediately uh, we're in this little group. Now, the actual red carpet was pretty far from us where we could see them doing interviews and cameras and things like that. This was in Dallas in front of the Texas Theater, which is famous for being the place that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested in after shooting uh, President Kennedy. And they do premieres here and there, and they do different smaller movies there, uh, uh, film film fest and things like that. But uh, immediately we're there, and uh, we're in between the street and the sidewalk in this barricaded area, and Trish Stratus walks by with a group of people, and she's going, and that was kind of shocking, so it was kind of neat. There's Trish, and then she comes back over and takes selfies with everybody in the fan area. And, uh, you know, just tremendous. The next thing, uh, a lady that knew me said, Lance, there's an old timer coming in a wheelchair down the, down the, uh, down the sidewalk. And I look over and it's Bill Mercer and nobody in this group is uh, noticing it's Bill Mercer. I'm like Bill Mercer. And he turns and they turn him in the wheelchair. This lady does, and I'm able to take a picture and everybody's oh Bill, Bill, you know, then they knew who it was. But again, there was a lot of people here. That they were fans, but they had their kids there, or teenage daughters, there to see Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen White. <laughs> <So> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently they had everybody behind the Texas Theater, and they would bring them in these Escalades, or, or for whatever it was, GMC, around in these big uh, SUVs and let them off. And they started letting them off right by us. So uh, the first person out was... Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Kevin Von Erich and his family got out in front of us and uh, they went on in. We kind of took pictures. They didn't really visit like the others. In a moment, uh, Jeremy Allen White did come and he got out and he took I'm sorry, Zach Efron got out and he took selfies with everybody. I took a couple of pictures from uh, from a distance and, you know, he was right there. Everybody, you know, Getting really nice. It was it was just perfect. He knew how to treat a crowd, and it wasn't kind of a a crazy crowd by any means. So it was very cool. Uh, right after that, the the boy playing David Von Erich came by. Uh, Harrison Jameson, I believe his name. Sorry about that, but he uh you know he went by nobody knew who he was or anything. And I, I said oh, I, think, I think that's the guy playing David. Very very thin, and uh, you know I I know he's a British actor. I don't know how familiar people are with him here. I just barely knew that as he went on and then uh jeremy allen white got out of of another suv in a few minutes and he immediately went to a uh, this that woman and her daughter who were standing next to me because they had told her told uh, him that she had a sign for him, and it was, you know, come give me a hug for my birthday. So he immediately got a of SUV, went right for her, and then I was next to him, so I did a selfie with him. So, or somebody took a picture of me and him together, which was cool because here's this guy that's going to play Carrie Von Eric. <laughs> I mean, God, yeah. this is <laughs> as crazy as can be. And so uh, he went on in, and the crowd, he kind of dispersed and everything. I mean, again, we were out there three and a half hours, and that was the last 30, 45 minutes of the people coming by. So with the crowd dispersed, nobody said anything about going in. I didn't get a call from the person I was going in. So I get home about 30 minutes later, cause this is on the other side of Dallas from where I live. And, uh, people are like, they're letting fans in. <laughs> I'm going, what are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So I did not make it into the movie. You just it, missed it. I missed it. I missed it. I've, you know, it's been a week now that I've been uh, kicking myself, because uh, I usually am pretty thorough if I go through with something, you know, and I, it wasn't, I wasn't in a rush, I was parked straight across the street, I mean, it was, couldn't have been more perfect, and there I go, and I leave. And then everybody wants to know about the movie, and I can't tell them.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> well, I, it's coming out in a month, and, or oh, about five weeks, and I, I've gone from, you know, I'm absolutely not seeing this thing, to I'm going to see it. I'm, not, I'm probably not going to see it at the theater but as soon as you can rent it I will rent it and we will at least do a segment on the Iron Claw movie my, my curiosity has peaked at, at least you can say that
1: <laughs> it's a weird weekend with it coming out a holiday and then the holiday the following week so you, I don't know how long it'll be in the theaters I think it'll do okay on Netflix you know those guys have fans the guys playing them, of course, Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen want to have fans that'll, that'll see their product, and once it's out there. But you know, I don't know how many people are going to race to the theater besides myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of like, you know, I'm not sure, you know, exactly who this movie is aimed at. Uh, Rick Flair said a few week, couple of weeks ago, that you know, I think the movie came out ten or twenty years too late, and I was like, I don't think there was really ever, outside of you know, the '80s, a time and a place for the for von Eric. Movie, but apparently, I mean, some. You know I'm not an expert on this, and someone who is thought it was a good idea.
1: Let me say one last thing. Um, I believe that this movie. It was written by a guy who grew up in England. He uh, Kevin did not have any input on it, better for better or worse. He. Um, it looks like he took pictures from social media my pictures, the other pictures. But of course, you know, I do have a lot out there you and do. Wrote, wrote the movie from pictures. It, that's exactly what it looks like. And maybe a, a shoot interview with Kevin and some other things like that. Some, you know, uh, newsletters. But, you know, as far as the behind the scene things that come up in this movie is completely make believe. You know, uh, I know Kevin has said that about the dad, uh, you know, Fritz's favorite was Carrier, you know, whatever and all that. He did say that in an interview. But as far as, you know, building this movie on just kind of what's thought of. And, you know, Kevin was very concerned about how his dad would look. And I do believe that his dad is buried in this, uh, for, for better or worse. You know, I, in one way you can say, you know, Fritz was just trying to push his sons into the family's successful business. And in other ways, you can, you know, look at it. You know, there's two different ways to look at it. And I know a lot of guys on the Facebook group Stick to Wrestling, which, man, if I enjoyed being a part of that. I mean, there's some great guys out there with, you know, we have good discussions back and forth on that Facebook group. I had been looking for the right group for a long time because I really hadn't been on Facebook but a few years. And I only did it uh, for a few groups. And, man, there's such good guys out there I want to give a shout out to.
0: Uh, same here. I mean, it's it's always a, a good discussion, and it's always respectful. There's, you know, no one's a jerk, and I, I've had to kick out, like, I want to say three people in, like, five years. And that's that's a minor miracle if you stop and think about it. So anyway, the, the World Class Championship Wrestling, they aired the big shows, unlike any other promotion that I'm aware of in, in the United States. You had to wait a couple of weeks, but, I mean, this was their biggest show of the year, and they aired it on television, you know, unheard of. The WWF did not do that. Uh, you know, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling did not do that. I mean, world-class, just, you know, they made you part of it. I thought it was great. And it did not affect ticket sales, obviously.
1: No, it, it's a huge, huge night, you know. Um, it had been a f- incredible few months in world-class. You'd had that June 17th International Star Wars. They'd had a July 4th and a Labor Day in in Fort Worth, that were just killer. They'd had the big six-man at the sportatorium. That one with the big entrances, where the Freebirds and the Confederate uh, jackets and the the uh, Confederate soldiers coming down.
0: I remember that. As soon as I saw that, I'm like the Freebirds winning this match.
1: By the way. uh, I think that they had those Confederate jackets ready in the movie, but I don't think they used them at the last second. I think they thought better of it, but I do know uh, Mike Mills over at, my co-host at Booking the Territory, did an interview with the guy playing uh, Buddy Roberts, and he did mention that those were were there, and he insinuated that at the last second they were not used, but I can't verify that yet. (laughs)
0: um, You know, one thing I want to say about the movie, Kevin is on record, you know, he was nice about it. He's like, you know, guys, it's not a documentary, it's a movie.
1: It is a movie. It's Hollywood. And, you know, I, Kevin did a one-man show a few weeks ago, an interview, um, September 1st here in Dallas at a huge theater. He had a whole series of uh, shows being interviewed on stage, and uh, I think they only did two of them. And um, he mentioned, you know, he, he talked about not being a part of it. It was an incredible experience, 1,500 people in this uh, old theater downtown, a, a, a classic kind of theater. I'd seen Penn & Teller there years ago and different things. And he, uh, he was just incredible. You know it Kevin did this uh, thing where he came down through 1400 people to stranglehold got on stage we had a, a longtime Dallas local uh, uh, sports anchor who had retired did the interview he talked to David Manning first then interviewed Kevin came down to Stranglehold, through the crowd it was incredible you'll see a lot of that on Twitter at the time you can scroll back through my account and you know he interviewed Kevin up there who who told some of those same old stories that we were used to told him um, Told a few new things. David Manning talked a little. But, you know, the passionate people that were there, and they were all passionate and, you know, Glad to see Kevin, glad to see him in such great physical condition. He did get up and down to stretch once in a while. But he the number one thing was uh, the boys, his boys, Russell and, Russell, <laughs> Ross and Marshall, and his uh, niece, uh, Kristen, had gone to the set and seen the whole situation. They have seen the movie and said, you know, it looks great. Maybe they didn't get it right, which, you know, that's going to be tough for me. I'm not putting the movie down uh, because of timeline, but, you know, I am the guy that, you know, kind of gets to the nitty-gritty of the timeline. You know, I I do like the timeline. That's my number one thing is, you know, how everything happened in world class. Not the the behind-the-scenes that much, uh, but, you know, what happened in world class, just like I've said before, like a Yankee fan follows the statistics of baseball or something.
0: (laughs) Sure, it it totally makes sense. You know, I, 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 I like to say this about Kevin Von Erich every now and then. Kevin is a really nice guy and he's a really smart guy. And I know this because Kevin, it was a time in my life where Kevin Von Eric would call me up just to shoot the breeze. And, you know, I was able to take a step back and say, you know, say, my God, this is Kevin Von Eric I'm talking to. (laughs) The phone rings and it's Kevin. Hi, Kevin. How are you? And like I said, you know, he, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I went. To the show you guys had up in Boston and in Lynn, I can't remember the name of the place. And Kevin's like, "Oh, the Manning Bowl." Like he remembers. He's been to a thousand <laughs> places. I've seen World Class once, but he remembers the name of the place.
1: That's that's great. And yes, I you know communicate with him on on Twitter for years before he kind of disappeared, and uh, it was kind of like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm talking to Kevin." You know, I've calmed down now, but at the time, it was it's pretty incredible back in 2014 because you know I. Never, you know, I'm just a fan. I didn't have a lot of connections, but you know, they have met me at shows, and they do now know, you know, that I I have all the kind of the history stuff. Um, yeah, it's just great.
0: Yeah, <laughs> really. I mean. I have met so many wrestlers. when I say met, I mean not at, at Comic-Con or whatever. Like right. you know, I've hung out with some pretty big stars and yeah, you know, I look back and I'm like, "Wow, I got to do that." But, you know, I mean, they didn't call me up when they were bored.
1: It's it, that's that's funny. And people would would send me a message saying, "You know, Kevin just said hello. He heard about something and sent me a message." It was it was very nice. And so, you know, um in the last few years, I've had a few guys— big timers call me when somebody passed away and ask me you know when it was a local guy in Dallas that really nobody knew but but local people and I would have somebody you know direct message me and ask me what happened and I'd put him in contact with somebody so you know I've gotten a little less starstruck but yeah I feel the same way about Kevin (laughs) contact contacting me
0: yeah, exactly. All right, so we've got the, the big show uh, now. We one thing I would say, Reunion Arena looks absolutely great. They have great lighting, and it feels like a major event. Like they have the spotlight on the wrestlers as they come to the ring. I mean, it just had a, a really a, a big event feel.
1: They, did a, it, they just tweaked the lighting at Reunion over and over. They had been going there for a while, and they had it just dialed in perfectly. Plus, the camera work. You had two guys down there on, with those big cameras on their shoulder, besides the hard cam, and they, they just, you know, it's a beautiful product. It really is. You know, there were... There was eighteen thousand, and it was a cold, cold night in Dallas. So this sellout, the fans that could not get in that night, and I, you know, I'm fully aware of what was going on. Oh, I'm on. glad
0: you're here for this. Go ahead.
1: They were standing out. Uh, outside looking through the glass windows of reunion arena able to see the monitors above the concession stands and they were watching it because this was shown in its entirety in uh san antonio they had closed circuit i'm not sure where else but i know it was in san antonio uh, they got two extra matches that we don't get on the the episodes that are shown on peacock or or were shown at the time so um this show was not relying on the NWA champ. You know, no special attraction like Andre Brody had been in for three months during the summer (laughs) during 83. Actually that three months is the only time he's really in during the heyday of world-class and everything. He didn't come back till 85 when he walked out of that uh, tournament with Snuka. So it was just basically the normal crew and man, did they blow the, uh, they blew the house off. And I'll just say it, you know, Dave Meltzer observer has said it's the loudest he ever heard anything. And, you know, to me it just it's still in my mind. I love talking about it. People know I just want to tweet about that show all the time. I wish I had better pictures. I was in a lower bowl kind of higher up. So my pictures are not that great, but at least the episodes are out there for us. You know, Ju- Junkyard Dog did come in t- for this show, but he really had no impact on selling tickets. I, I, he could have, it could have been anyone in that spot. Now, I was a hardcore fan. Of course, I knew who Junkyard Dog was. It was great. <laughs> but, right. uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't really do. And then they had a mystery, uh, somebody later in a match we'll talk about that it was a mystery coming in. So he, that didn't sell any tickets because it was really barely talked about. So it, it was just fantastic.
0: It, it. I really enjoyed watching the show. It is available on Peacock. It's uh, I believe like early December nineteen eighty three episodes of World Class Championship Wrestling. And I'm glad you talked about the crowd because Wiki says that the show threw eighteen thousand five hundred spectators. Out of approximately 21,000 seat capacity, my understanding has always been it was a turn-away crowd, and you were there live, and you, <laughs> you're, you're confirming that.
1: I promise you. I, and I went to ones all through until, you know, through the end of 87 when they stopped running there, and this was the biggie. I I was not at that international Star Wars that y'all covered a while back, the June 17th show. Um, I do believe it was uh, it was packed, too, but this is the one that was you know, just stands out in everybody's mind. And a reason is this show was one of the first ones that people everywhere could see because syndication had gone nuts by uh, September, October of 83. So certain things before that, Buddy Roberts getting his ha- the hair cream on him by Iceman, that wasn't seen till later by people because the syndication had not gone nuts. Now, by this time, I believe, actually, the November 4th episode's a country whipping match, Carrie and Kevin versus Gordy and Hayes. That's one of the first matches, first episodes that was shown, I believe, in Boston or other different markets. So what a way to hook you by showing you that kind of match or this huge event of Thanksgiving 83 at Reunion.
0: I we got it a little bit earlier than that. I remember someone calling me uh, February nineteen eighty three and said, wow. "Hey, uh, world class championship, you know, uh, the Von Erichs' world class championship wrestling is on," and of course it was on the same exact time as WWF championship wrestling. I'll never understand why they did that, <laughs> and by it, by not very. Almost right away I was watching the world class show because it was better. They had they I'd never seen a show like that before. <laughs> I'd seen Florida, Georgia, Mid South, WWF. They didn't have main events on TV every week. World class did.
1: And, and the big shows were kind of grainy they weren't they were single camera not lit well if you saw something from the omnia clip like that you know it just didn't have the clarity of this and it no. didn't it no didn't have any uh anybody doing commentary by any means and Bill Mercer is doing commentary live during the show sometimes during the years uh bill wasn't doing live commentary by any means. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I, I, and sometimes Mark Laurence got it. So they, they open up with, uh, and hey, every show is an opener. It's Johnny Mantel, Jose Lothario, and Mike Reed defeating Boris Zhukov, Black Gorman, and Tonga John. Uh, Tonga had a big career ahead of him as the Barbarian.
1: Absolutely, you know about this six-man. I guess the noted thing is that they brought Black Gordman in. You know, once in a while on these ho- holiday shows, the big ones, they would reach a little bit for the Hispanic off- audience, uh, just a little, because basically teenage girls were driving this crowd. Well, at that point, all all teenagers were <laughs> into it, and uh, so they did bring in Black Gordman and, and Jose Lothario. They had done a little something at the Sportatorium a couple weeks ago uh, before this to build it up, and then he. Uh, then they actually had a singles match at Christmas, just to kind of get the Hispanic audience in there. You know, you see the crowd on fire during this match. I mean, for a six-man opener, (laughs) it's just incredible. By the way, I do want to say, as far as 1983 pageantry, you know, Ralph Pooley sang the National Anthem, and you don't see it on the episode, but they turn the lights down in reunion. There's a disco ball, and they play Celebration by Cool and the Gang, so that's kind of the uh, (laughs) that's the pageantry, and of course, after this six-man, they yeah, uh, they... Do show with Sam Mushnick and uh, Bing, Bing Bing Divine in the crowd front row, and they're actually there the entire time. Sam was there, and uh, they were in town for the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving.
0: Okay, That's that the makes deal. sense.
1: That's the deal on that and stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, I was because I was wondering what Sam Mushnick and Bing Divine were doing there. Sam, you know, no, was no longer associated even with the St. Louis promotion, but okay, the Cardinals played the Cowboys Thanksgiving, so that. Makes sense, yeah. Jose lothario I, I looked it up. He's about to turn fifty, like in a couple of weeks. And I remember, like you know, watching World Class with my friends and going, you know, he used to be a really big star. And they'd be like, Nah, no way. I'm like, you know, no. He was a a top contender for the NWA title in the early and mid seventies. But clearly, Jose has, you know, this is the toward the end of his career here. Yeah,
1: Fritz has given him respect here because you know, if if Jose was wrestling on a show, say. One of the early Kamala guys that, and he was being, you know, fed to Kamala. But he was, it was respectable because usually it was Jose's fault that he lost. He did something, missed a move, and Kamala took advantage and won the match. So Jose was getting a lot of respect, but absolutely, is he a Texas legend?
0: Oh, absolutely, and I remember, you know, watching World Class, I want to say, you know, the beginning of 1983, you know, Michael Hayes had just started there, and Hayes and Lothario go to a time limit draw. <laughs> I, to this day, I'm kind of blown away.
1: That is, That is, some of that early 83, just what you said, is crazy, because you see a lot of pins, the free, uh, Gordy is eating pins right and left. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, also, you noticed Nick Roberts was the referee for that six-man. He he would come in here and there. He'll be uh, the NWA official at the '84 uh, Christmas when it, Carrie and Flair have a thing, and he has to come make a decision. And uh, maybe Doll oh, talks about you know him coming in for big shows.
0: Yeah, it it clearly almost felt like it. It felt like uh, that match in 1984 was the precursor of World Class leaving the NWA. I mean, they didn't do it for another year and a half, but it felt like you know, it felt like they were breaking off. But anyway, next is the interview with all four Von Eriks. And poor Mike, I mean I, I you know I feel bad for him. I mean, Kerry and Kevin were two really good looking guys david wasn 't a good looking guy, but he was a big dude. David was like legit six foot seven. Mike is just this average size not very look, good looking guy he 's with all of his brothers who have a you know all have extensive athletic backgrounds. I mean, Kevin played football at North Texas David played football at North Texas. I think Kerry played track at Houston. And Mike's done none of that. He, he's a little. He he felt. It felt like he was a little bit embarrassed out there.
1: Absolutely, and I feel it. I still watch it to this day, and I'm, I cringe up. Not bell to bell. I do not cringe bell to bell with Mike, and I watch him improve all the way over. I can go on for an hour about him, but on this, but these interviews never get better, <laughs> and that's yeah. it's a shame. And when he was out and came back, he, uh, you know, if they'd just given him a more of a different look, grow your hair out, do a little bit of this and that, they would, they would. Tr- try to mirror him to to say he looked like his brother David all the time and that would be on and off through the through his career but he did improve he was married to uh, to buddy roberts to jake roberts to uh Gino through the years on house shows and they worked with him. Jake Roberts did you can, I can see what Jake Roberts did sh- helping Mike. I really can't. Buddy just gosh, buddy's so selfless. He just did so much for them. And they never stuck really Mike with Terry Gordy. They're hardly ever in the ring together. Um uh, but <laughs> it's uh, but the other ones did a lot for Mike.
0: Yeah, they did, and, and Mike, it was one of those guys, I mean, well, let's talk about the match first. His debut is against Skandor Akbar, and Mike, I thought he had a really good reaction coming out. Like It wasn't like the fans were rejecting him at all.
1: By no means. He had already done a couple of... Uh... Uh, uh, things building up to this. And Mike, uh, whatever you want, I know he's smaller, uh, and I know some of the guys are smaller now in AEW, but he was a tough son of a gun and knew how to sell. I mean, he is tough. They throw him out of the ring, he splats on the ground, he's back in there, he knew how to sell. You know, it's just that his debut match is under the microscope like no other. I mean, here we are, the hottest a territory could be, and here he is. Um, a week before, they had done a thing with uh, Buddy Roberts in the ring. I don't know if it was an actual match. Some people say it was a match. Some people say it wasn't. I wasn't there, um, so I don't know. And, That's
0: not a match. I, I've seen it. It was from Fort Worth, right?
1: No, no, it was a sportatorium. That's why I don't know much about okay. what happened. But they had done a couple of interviews, yes, and, and they built up that it was going to be Buddy Roberts. Bill Mercer definitely goes in that direction on a couple of, uh, interviews or, or a couple of episodes that it's going to be Buddy that's going to be facing Mike Von Erich. Then they changed it and made it uh, Akbar. I don't know the situation on it, but uh, it was definitely going to be my uh, Buddy Roberts in the in that slot.
0: I mean that that would make a little more sense. And reading right from my notes, this is not the show to debut Mike on. Um, <laughs> oh, I think man. it was just you know it, it was too the shoes were too big for his feet. And I personally thought you know I mean uh, Fritz von Erich and Eddie Graham were good friends. I, I think Mike should have been out in Florida for about a year wrestling as Mike Adkinson, and you know just get him some seasoning before you give him all that spotlight.
1: Yeah. That that makes uh, complete sense. It you know I Mike it's finally by Texas Stadium eighty four in the six man where I see Mike uh, comfortable and from then on he's working with Gino. It's just Gino's such a I would say a good soldier for world class and that's the way. Uh, it, it, that's just. The way I see it, he did so much for Mike, but it's not then because Mike has this match. He doesn't have another match till the Christmas main event at Reunion Arena is his second match. <laughs> you know, and and I, you know, I look at that that thanks that Christmas card as a way let down show. I was not at that when That'd be the last Reunion show I would miss. And I would look at it going, oh, this this Thanksgiving is just so much better.
0: Hey, this was a really good card, up and down. Uh, and this match, you know, Scandor Akbar against Mike Von Eric. On paper, that does not sound like a good match, but it was not awful. This was not trash. They kept it short and simple, and to me, that's the smart <laughs> road to go down.
1: Right, Akbar goes for the whip, uh, and he's in the corner. And uh, I see David Manning whisper to Mike, "Go do it now." You know, as far as uh, roll uh, Akbar up, and so it's it's great. Uh, it, you know, it's a it's a Von Eric victory, and this is a Von Erick Love Fest show. By the way, I don't want to. I'm not. It was a sm-
0: Lovefest promotion. <laughs> it It was, I mean, you know, then there was nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, they were, you know, it it, it was a Superman movie and they were Superman.
1: They gave us so many through the years. They gave the fans back on this, the main event in this show, the carry wing, the title, the hair match. They gave the fans so much uh, satisfaction. Sometimes today's world, you know, you see the heel go forever without the, the good guy getting it. But, you know, they gave us so much back as fans.
0: Oh, I mean, that's the formula. I mean, you know, Rocky one through four, you know, Rocky, oh, Rocky lost in, in Rocky one, but he kind of won. And from there, you know, I mean, Rocky's coming out on top. And, you know, that's the best analogy I can use with the Von Eriks. You know, they're coming out on top and the fans are going home happy. It's what sold the tickets, right? Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> I mean, you know, look no further than this show when you're talking about people standing outside the building in the freezing cold looking at a monitor for, for God knows how many feet away. That's right. All right. Next up, Junkyard Dog and Iceman Parsons against the Super Destroyers. Lance, I think Junkyard Dog is now doing the things that superstars do. He's working multiple promotions, and he's getting brought in for the big shows. And, you know, little do we know that soon Vince McMahon would be, you know, hiring as many superstars as he could. But, I mean, JYD looked like he might have been, you know, had that national expansion not happened, you know, might have been the next Dusty Rhodes.
1: Sure, that makes complete sense, man. I was down there ringside at the beginning of the match when they were signing autographs with my Junkyard Dog Pro Wrestling Illustrated poster holding it up, you know. <laughs> I was down oh, there. Oh, not smart. Uh, oh, man, I was trying, you know, I because I, I knew who he was and stuff. You know, the match is, is just fine. The, the Super D's, you know, the Irwin's doing the Super D's is fantastic. And just to note, there's a match in early 84 where it's Ice and uh, Andre versus the Super D's. And you can just see that it's just the classic Andre Dre coming into a promotion tag team match. And I, I always push that one. I think that's great, but you know, ice is carried out, got his head, ran into the post. JYD carries on, uh, ice is back in with a bandage. And then uh, one of the super D's holds ice man while, uh, uh, Akbar lights him on fire. And, you know, Iceman, there he is getting, besides the hair cream deal and this fire, here he is, he gets two of the biggest spectacles of 1983 involve Iceman. It's, uh, it, it was just so great live. And it looks fantastic on the episodes.
0: Uh, they brought Iceman in with a vignette where they talk about where where he got the name Iceman. He said he used to deliver ice in St. Louis, big blocks of ice to people you know who didn't have uh, electric r- r- freezers or refrigerators. And yeah, that was a thing back in the day. And you know his, his girlfriend would say, "Oh, Ice, you know, Ice your hands are always cold, but you've got a, a warm heart." <laughs> and he, I was hooked. I'm like, I like this guy. This guy's cool. They
1: brought those guys, you know, him and uh, Garvin and Adams all came in at the same time and, and Kamala right after that. Just, man, good stuff. They knew how to do it. They, they, they definitely
0: did. They, they, There's nothing wrong with being part of a supporting cast. No, Iceman was not Kevin or Kerry Von Erich, but he was a valuable member uh, of the supporting cast.
1: You know, the one thing I do want to—if people go out back and watch this, which, you know, I would—this is, you know, two great episodes. The second one has just got so much in it. But the first one's good, too, of, of these shows— they uh Broncos reaction to the fire is just hilarious. He's you know, it's the, oh my gosh with his bow, hands out to the side. It's something to look for. <laughs>
0: I mean great. they they did the old flash paper thing where you know Akbar you know burns Iceman with a big ball of fire and on the first you know the first time they see it you can see Akbar like light up a lighter okay so that kind of takes away some of the mystery of it but not enough then you can see the light lighter in the live shot but wait then they show a slow motion replay and i was just like oh no what are you guys doing
1: i, uh, I you know he uh, he did it so well and it was you know it wasn't something we saw every day and so, you know, I, I like it. I still can suspend this belief. <laughs> I, I think it looks good. And, and they did some crazy makeup stuff on Iceman uh, the next few weeks. And then all of a sudden he has, has no scars. after <laughs> a month later, Of course, as usual.
0: <laughs> and it's wrestling. You got to know how to roll with it. Next yeah. up, Kevin Von Erich versus Terry Gordy. This was an excellent match, in my opinion. I gave it three and three-quarter stars. Uh, Kevin gets a clean win, and then the Freebirds come out and attack him. What did you think of this match? Uh,
1: it's one of their masterpieces. I believe there's four you can possibly see through the uh, through the years. And they are just so good together. And it, the thing about this is, we know now how Kevin feels about Terry Gordy. He's talked about it at the Hall of Fame. He talked about it the other night at that show I went to, uh, calling Terry Gordy a battleship. What he did for them. Um, the selflessness. And I believe it paid dividends because this show... Gordy, just a month earlier, had just gone on his first Japan tour. And I believe, of course, that was like Fritz. It helped uh, Brody into Japan, and so the world was getting ready for Terry Gordy. Even though you know he'd already done huge things in the Omni and things like that, but now he was going to be going overseas, and he was a force to be reckoned with. But he does eat some pins throughout '83, and this is not the. Top, it's this is maybe the second of the of all the matches with Gordy that it, that they had. I did go back and look at those a while back to see what I could say was the best Gordy. Terry, uh, Gordy, Kevin match. Um, it is nice they give you a clean pin, and uh, but they just work so well. I think it's Kevin's best opponent overall I, I, over Gino and Chris. Even though I do like Kevin and Gino, um, I think Gordy is his best opponent.
0: I, you know, I would actually argue that Chris Adams might have been his best oppo- opponent. The best match I've ever seen Kevin Von Erich in was the Labor Day match, 1985, when Gino was locked in a cage. That match was electric.
1: It is good. That is that is good. That was later on, you know, because their early matches at Reunion are short. I don't know what the deal was. They're short. Um, left me dissatisfied that was thanksgiving and christmas of 84 and uh, i didn't think much of either one of them the cotton bowl was okay but it didn't have a lot they were trying to do scientific they said they were gonna do scientific each other the angle at the end was in, insane but it was the anytime kevin was at the sport tour with chris adams was well, they were better matches and and that was that fort worth one was much later on but still very good that's one with Car- uh, with gino in the cage above the ring yes i know which one you're talking about
0: No, the more I think about it, the Christmas '84 match was kind of a disappointment. The Cotton Bowl match wasn't that good. Maybe the match I was talking about was a little bit of an outlier. the uh, The Labor Day match from 1985. The more I think about it, you never went wrong with Kevin Von Erich and Terry Gordy.
1: The thing about that Kevin uh, that Labor Day match, we were July 4th. We already had gotten the stipulation of the hair match at the Cotton Bowl, so that that show was kind of a filler. And, you know, so people were, we were ready for the hair match, which was months away. Oh my gosh. It took forever to get to that hair match between July 4th and the middle of October of 84. So when they did that and they put Gino in the cage above the ring and they put him in the little uh, penalty box cage, which man, I still wonder if that thing was built to be held up in the air with the, you know, with the bottom of it, the floor,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, if I'm Gino, I'm, that's not my my favorite day that I, I've ever lived. One one criticism I have about the Kevin and Gordy match on this night, they knew that you know they were going to continue with the Freebirds versus Von Eric feud. I, I didn't know it at the time. I think Gordy needed a win here. But, you know, like if the Freebirds were leaving, that's fine. But the Freebirds are going to be there for about another yeah, seven or eight months. And that, that's my one criticism that I think Gordy needs to, to go over here.
1: I understand. I understand. I, I do understand, and I know you know you feel that the Von Eric Freebird feud did go out long longer than it needed to, and, uh, and we're going to debate that one day, me and you, because I have a couple of things I think uh, I could say the reasons why. But <laughs> I do understand why you think Gordy needed to go over.
0: Yeah, and you know what? If we ever have that debate, you're going to win the debate because <laughs> it continued to draw, and that's what matters. You know, to me, watching the show, you know, in Nashua, New Hampshire, I'm like, okay, you know, I wasn't used to long feuds in the WWF. A long feud in the WWF was three months. Um, Florida, maybe three months. You know, uh, Georgia, with the exception of Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Rich, which. You know when you know, people say, Oh, that feud went on for years. No, they brought it they brought it back every six months or so. And it, it just it's all what you're used to and, and the point is that you know the Von Erickson Freebirds continued to draw money, so I can't say that it it, it lasted too long. Gotcha. All right. Next up, David Von Erich versus Kamala. I think this was a really smart feud, Lance. It's the claw against the the uncontrollable Ugandan giant. It's the claw that can control him. It's the claw that can put him down. This was my favorite match of the show. Um, Double juice, crazy brawl. I loved it.
1: Texas and Missouri champion David Von Erich uh, at the time where he's just killing it up in St. Louis at the time feuding with flair and race. I mean that is you know this is right at the end of his career and I mean you're on he's really on top of the world. Now we've talked before that I didn't think he was getting the title at Texas Stadium. I also do want to say that I believe that Texas Stadium was booked sometime between this uh, Thanksgiving show and Christmas. I believe that's when they you know had it all set up of what they were going to do and that leads to the reason some of the booking decisions on Christmas. They introduced Kamala to the Iron Claw a month or so before this. David even got a win, a pinned Kamala with the Claw. I think it was a cage, uh, a tag team match. But the MVP of is Kamala, with his reactions any time that David threatens the claw, is incredible. And I love this match. Uh, In fact, when I watched it a couple of days ago again, I liked it better than I'd ever liked it before. Uh, I actually didn't remember it being quite this good. I I don't know why, but... it is fantastic. Kerry comes in at the end. and does the body slam on Kamala, but it wasn't an actual match, so that that Akbar has the out where He doesn't have to pay him this ten thousand dollars that nobody had thought about in six or seven months that that were uh, where they had put that out. But it of course, leads to Kerry and Kamala on Christmas. So they they're just so perfect at leading into the Christmas show, a lot of things being built up.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with with wrestling, especially at that that time, you know, it's not like baseball or football where, you know, everything leads up to the Super Bowl and bang, we start over six months later. Like, you know, the Christmas, the uh, Thanksgiving show has to lead to the Christmas show, has to lead to the show after that, and they're doing a really good job here.
1: Let Let me jump in right here because there's a match that you don't know about that happened on the card, and that is the mystery newcomer. So, What we have is we're on Thanksgiving Thursday. The Monday before, they had had the regular show in Fort Worth that we had every single week. It was, you know, the the week was bookend by the Fort Worth show and the Dallas show on, uh, on Friday. So Monday in Fort Worth, they had had their card. And the, they had a battle royal to determine the matches for the night. Each person that got went out together, you know, that, that was the match for the night. And it comes down to the last two, and they're going to be the main event. And the loser of the main event is going to face the mystery guy on Thanksgiving, and so it comes down to David Von Erich versus Buddy Roberts. And so David, you know, he's he's fighting Kamala. So, of course, he wins the, the match. And Buddy has to come out here and face this mystery opponent. And the, Buddy comes out to... The debut of Batch Street USA." That's the very first time that Batch Street USA" was played as an entrance for the Freebirds. Was here at this Thanksgiving '83 show and stuff. The uh, the the uh, video was more for I did not know that.
0: I don't remember seeing the video until the 1984 Texas Stadium show. Yeah,
1: it was shown on the week before the Thanksgiving. Uh, before the, it was the weekend of. The, the May Fourth show the uh, the the Texas Stadium show they had a retrospective show and that's when they did show the video the video was shot right at St. Patrick's Day of 84 and stuff they had the, the Von Erichs I mean not Von Erichs the Freebirds and the production crew all went to this club that's right I mean a mile from my house and uh, they they met there they auditioned to see who they who the tough guys were and then went and filmed the video the next day or so uh, so, anyways, that's, uh, but the mystery opponent that Buddy Roberts faced was the brand new Missing Link, who could not have been the Missing Link for more than maybe two and a half months or so. The magazine articles came out after this, still had him in Mid-South. They had come up with some name that he was Max the Missing Link. There's a Max, story. Max, yes. They never used that in world class at all. By the way, they never used the Freebird rule in, in world class either. That was always a, you know, a Bill Watts thing. So they have the uh, Buddy versus Missing Link. It was short. Missing Link doesn't understand the headgear that Buddy has on. Now, Buddy had wrestled a few times bald, uh, but he, he did, uh, you know, would come to the ring with the wig, put it on the ring post, and do a match bald. And I don't even think that episode is on the network. I believe that's one that's not on there, but he did do that. But he goes back into the headgear. And his hair is growing out. So when Missing Link pulls off the headgear, Buddy runs up the aisle. And you can see a black kind of crew cut growing in. And like two pieces of tape that were holding the wig. And he runs up the aisle. And the Missing Link's... Uh, there with the headgear, I think he starts bat-a-ramming it or something like that. He was not with uh, Akbar yet at that point. <laughs>
0: stuff. Okay, but, uh, I-, I know World Class kind of upgraded the missing link from what he was in Mid South, and it's funny, buddy lost his hair. What uh, June seventeenth, nineteen eighty-three, yes, and yes. it's how many months later? Six months later, and he still only has a crew cut.
1: That was only that was pharmaceutical grade stuff, you know. <laughs> That's ah, good what they point. Said. That is what they said.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I remember when Iceman finally got the headgear off, and Buddy is as bald as a cue ball, and me saying, "Like, what? His hair is never going to grow back. What's going on here?" It's great, just uh, great.
1: We never got, we didn't get that kind of satisfaction for Gino and Chris after the hair match. We hardly, we didn't get a, a fully bald, you know, view of them ever you know they had grown their hair back and everything if you want my there understanding
0: Bowl- <laughs> was that was a gino and chris thing that they <laughs> would not leave their condo at all uh for months after that hair match unless it was just to go to go on the road and they would wear hats like hats, they were not going to yeah. let anyone see them bald yeah yeah <laughs> All right, next we have a red hot feud one of the best booked feuds I can remember Chris Adams against Jimmy Garvin I mean just sunshine did the best interview i 've ever seen in wrestling where uh, Jim Garvin sides with his new valet sunshine by the way, we have two women only known as sunshine one 's only known as sunshine one 's only known as precious and you know J- Jimmy picks dumps sunshine in favor of precious and sunshine does an interview that 's just out of this world i mean we're talking de niro level acting
1: dan bynum who produced that uh he he was part of the production crew i want to ask him if that was done in one shot because it's he he is active on facebook and answers questions here and there um it is so the emotion uh, that she shows in that and you you know i was i have a note here that i was going to say now for the draw of the show because honestly I believe that she was, and people would just don't wouldn't understand this. Is the third biggest draw of the show. the The cage match main event was was the the draw. David and Kamala, big. I mean, Mike. Yeah, we cared about Mike coming, but Sunshine, Sunshine, to this day, you know, is is somebody that a lot of people on Facebook they they connected with the girl, you know, done wrong and stuff. Uh, just incredible. Yes. She made this impact. She's such a draw, you know, and I've kind of pushed her online as far as pictures and things like that that I pushed out there. And then when they did that, tell through the territory uh, episode, they actually did a you know five minutes on Sunshine, and I thought, well, maybe you know, I had a little to do with that with a couple of others, uh, Vinny, who runs a big uh, uh uh website for Sunshine for years and years, you know, we we keep her Wait name. Wait a minute, out she has there. a website? No, no, he keeps a a Facebook group. I apologize. No, no, no. Oh, There's okay. no contact. No contact. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I just mean that we've kept her name out there uh, alive uh, with yep. our pictures and things like that. Uh, at the, uh, by the way, at the Kevin show, the interview a few, from a few weeks ago, David Manning, th- th- somebody asked about Sunshine. They had done a Q&A thing where they were reading questions and asked about Sunshine. David Manning said, we all wish we, we could talk to Sunshine. And, uh, you know, I know we always get the same thing. If you put anything on Sun, uh, about Sunshine out there, people say the same old thing. Oh, I hear she's married in Florida with a kid. Well, that kid's going to be 35 years old now and would know, you know, that her mom, obviously her mom doesn't want to be out there because I'm sure she's been contacted to do interviews. And this child, whoever she is, would know that their mom, you know, made an impact. But then again, this girl was in her. Early, early 20s doing this. And, you know, she may not be happy with that time in her life. And there's others. You know, Ken Mantel will not discuss wrestling with anybody if they call his house. Um, you know, and that is straight from Johnny. And, uh, you know, there's a few others. Al Madrill won't talk wrestling with anybody, you know, because oh, wow. they're, they're not happy with the people they were at the time. Not Ken Mantel. I, Ken just got married, didn't want to talk to anybody in wrestling anymore. Whatever. I, I, you don't, you know, but that is, that is straight from Johnny that he doesn't discuss it.
0: I mean, for, from my understanding, over 30 years ago, Sunshine just disappeared and was never heard from again and just kind of wants to leave this part of her her life behind her. You know, she, you know, I don't know if anyone knows how to contact her, but, you know, I, I obviously, she wants to be left alone and I respect those wishes. I mean, it's the way some people are. You know, you, okay, this was my life, you know, 40 years ago and I'm done with it.
1: Yeah, that, you know, a lot of people... Still connect with her so much. Um, that was it was so hot, and it went on. I mean, she's the she's in this big show. She's in the Christmas big show. She closes Texas Stadium. She closed the Texas Stadium eighty six in the mud uh, mud match with Missy. She has kept front and center. Uh, it would come up and down depending on if she had somebody. I, when she was managing guys and she didn't have a woman to, good to go against, it wasn't that great. But when she had the home runs, uh, that she was a home run. Precious was a home run and Missy's a home run. You oh, yeah. know and stuff. Baby doll came into herself later and she wasn't and she was only in Dallas a few months and you know that wasn't it wasn't what the others were at the time.
0: No, Sunshine you know, had disappeared. They brought in Stellamay French for a while, and I actually didn't enjoy that, although if it draws, it draws. This was another really good match. Chris uh, does a super kick that is just amazing. Uh, precious trips Adams. Chris kicks out, and then Sunshine interferes, uh, get, and then uh, Adams gets the pin, and he is the new American champion. And Lance, I mean... I'm used to there being big pops in world-class championship wrestling. This was a huge pop.
1: She had gotten some revenge. She told, uh, in that press conference, she knew she knew his weakness. She had given the tapes to Chris Adams, but she knew his weakness. And there you go. He get Adams, I mean, uh, Garvin's whipped into the ropes, and she grabs his hair, and he mm-hmm. goes down. That was his weakness. They don't say that on TV, but that's, you know, that part of where she said she knew his weakness. Um, she got her revenge. And they go from there because their Halloween breakup that is, is is on the episodes and stuff. It actually was on a Fort Worth show, but they, they have it on the syndicated show is an incredible breakup. It was Halloween of uh, eighty three Halloween night. And here we are a month later. And she's uh she's she's big time and she's a kid. She's twenty one.
0: Yeah. And. It was a feud that every other promotion tried to imitate. It's nothing like this had ever been done before. Jim Garvin has a valet named Precious for his valet Sunshine. She's here to help her out. And I should have seen the whole thing coming, but I didn't. And suddenly, you know, Jimmy sides with the new girl and dumps the old girl and and actually physically knocks her down during the breakup. And, you know, Sunshine is just out for revenge and everyone gets it.
1: Let me throw one last thing in there. While Garvin and... uh Precious, you know, had moved to the area, obviously being married. And when they came to the area in the in March of 83, they actually rented Gary Hart's house And while well, Gary Hart was in Mid-Atlantic. And they, that interview that they do where they come to, Mercer shows up at the house, and it's, you know, Garvin and Precious in a just a button-down shirt, you, you know, <laughs> as if they're in there, you know, getting it on and all, all that. And that is actually Gary Hart's house at the time. And cha- uh, Jason... Jason Hart, Jason, uh, Jason Williams, he, uh, he talks about that. He's at my house and stuff. He's, a, he's actually been really great, Gary Hart's son, on social media in the last year or so. He's, he's said a, a few things. And it's funny because Gary Hart's real name is Williams. So the Williams were uh, renting from Garvin, who was really the, the Williams also. <laughs>
0: yeah and you, you brought up a good point. I mean, you know, right after the breakup, uh, Bill Mercer goes to Jim Garvin's house and Precious answers the door with you know, only wearing this men's shirt that's barely <laughs> buttoned, and then Jimmy shows up wearing a towel in a panic, saying, "What are you doing?
1: sir I can't believe you're at my house. I mean, it's just tremendous.
0: It really was. And if you think about it, Lance, wrestling didn't do things like that back in 1983. Oh. This was such a unique thing that they were doing. I mean, you know, yeah, raw 15 years later, you'd see, you know, uh, angle after angle like that. They didn't do angles like that in 1983. And it was really, it was believable and refreshing.
1: It was, it was, you know, uh, the, I have this program, this program I put in the plastic sleeve when I, you know, I was 13 at this show, I just turned 13 I, I guess I was, yeah, yeah, it was fixing to be 14. And uh, I have this program and my tickets, you know, I, I made sure to take care of this one. I always love this show, man.
0: <laughs> I, people, I'll tell you. People
1: would be afraid uh, The people always, when I put up programs, I hope you have that taken care of. I do have my programs in a box, but they're not taken care of that well. Uh, because, really, I don't see them going for any kind of prices online. You know, wrestling memorabilia, people ask me about different items all the time, and I say, well, if it means something to you, you know, I understand how cool that is, but you know, sometimes when they're higher priced, I, I never say, yeah, you should get that. I'm kind of like, well, if it means something to you, you can get it. And my programs mean something to me, even if, uh, you know, they're not going for a lot of money online or anything.
0: I, I'll, I picked the right guy for this episode. <laughs> that is so great <laughs> that you have that you have that uh, the program and the, and the tickets uh, preserved in the plastic bag. Lance, I was able to find the cage match with Kerry Von Erich and Michael Hayes on YouTube. I could not find it on Peacock. Could you find it?
1: Yeah, what it is is, and, and, uh, and more of it's on there than I even remembered, it's on the episode, which is, a uh, again, it's the episode that aired the weekend of the first weekend of May of '84, the weekend that they were trying to get you into Texas Stadium, they did a okay. retrospective, and that's where you'll see the match. You do not see the entrance. So let me tell you about the entrance, okay? Because yes. this is the first time in the area we have seen a cage match since Christmas. I think they'd done one in San Antonio or something, but the cage we we just didn't see cages, and that's why you know cages were so wonderful back in the day because we didn't see them every day. You know, it's still a cage match. You know, it's just, it just brings electricity to me and everything. Again, this is so th- they didn't show this. I don't know what the situation of why this didn't air. I really, I really don't because it's quite the spectacle. You know, the loser can't wrestle in Texas for a year uh, they, because the Von Erichs live here. They weren't gonna make out like you know they were gonna have to leave the state. And I'd seen that done before. They had done that uh, in previous. Times where they, you know, the, the Ron Eric didn't have to leave Texas. He just couldn't wrestle in Texas and
0: stuff. Lance, let me say this. That, I thought that was a really, really good detail that, you know, Kerry, he just can't wrestle in Texas. It's not like he's banned. You know, he gets brought to the Oklahoma border and he can't come back for a year.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was uh, they really cool how they they made sure to put that in and stuff. So they the match. Carrie comes to the ring, gets on the mic before he gets into the cage, and they play that hey 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 goodbye that song. You know da da da. You know <laughs> I, I know you know the song from Meaners. So they get everybody hyped up. I mean the place is just electric. And so then we have the whole match and stuff. And I mean it's just peak territory heat. You know um, during the match. There's a uh, Michael Hayes pulls off his ace bandage that he had wrapped around his knee. Now, let me tell you what. We didn't have uh, weapons much in world class. We had uh, cowboy boots. Getting hit with cowboy boots. Usually, Freebird's hitting the Von Erichs with cowboy boots. Otherwise, and they did do the leather the, that match with the strap. But you didn't see people coming in with any kind of baseball bat, boards, anything like that. So this this Ace Bandage, and he's got Kerry in the cage using this Ace Bandage. I mean, come on! If you're you're letting, suspending disbelief, I mean, you're you're concerned right here and everything. And there was, you know, this was 1983, and we're having fun. You know, I knew it was a show from day one, but still. We're having fun with it, and uh, you know, you, you, Carrie. Uh, another point during this match, Carrie, um, there's a there's a pile driver by Hayes during the match, and Carrie gets his foot on the the bottom rope to stop the pin, and that'll be something that Hayes brings up later through through months. That you know, hey, why they shouldn't have stopped the pin. For Kerry having his foot on the rope because it's a cage match. However, back on that cage door uh, Christmas a year earlier, Michael Hayes it either it was either Kerry in a headlock or or Ric Flair in a headlock on each other, and one of them just brushes the top rope and Hayes stops the stops the hold. So yes. I always think that's a funny throwback. That's not mentioned, but it's right there that you know he's talking out of both sides of his mouth and everything. As a heel should. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the end of the match saw Gordy come to the ring, and Fritz is there as the cage guy watching the cage door and stuff. And I don't want y'all to think that Fritz was around. He did come in and out, but he didn't sell the show, his presence and stuff. Maybe, you know, Texas Stadium, he's going to be in a six-man. But, you know, when he's around ringside, it just wasn't that much. He didn't want to be out there that much. Uh, but anyways, Gordy comes. He's facing off with Fritz over by the cage door. Buddy Roberts is climbing up the side of the cage to throw brass knucks into Michael Hayes in the ring with Kerry, And there is David Manning also in the ring. So all this goes on at once, and it's hard to keep up with. But uh, Hayes gets the brass knucks, ducks, and misses them While Kerry's picking up the brass knucks... Buddy, instead of climbing back to the floor, climbs up to the top of the cage in the corner. And he's standing up there. Fritz shakes the cage, which you have to notice it's actually Fritz shaking the cage over by the cage door. Buddy falls, racks himself. Oh, man, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the peak moment. I have that picture of him standing on the cage, uh, you know, with that screenshot. And it's just, it's just wonderful because you had that going. Buddy racks himself, falls on into the ring, just as Kerry is hitting Michael Hayes and getting the one, two, three. Then they flash over to Fritz, who's fighting Terry Gordy. Terry Gordy then gets into the ring and, turns around, and Fritz hits him with the cage door. (laughs) That kind of revenge. And so there's all these... Mike on a booking the territory often talks about the cage door Christmas match as having so many moving parts this did have all those missing moving parts also it's just it wasn't televised till six months later or so you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I thought that finish uh, that ending where Gordy's in the ring and Fritz slams the cage on him I mean it was so poetic it was the perfect like you know justice has been served on the Freebirds, <laughs> and you see all three of them you know laying all Laying in the ring, the the Freebirds have been vanquished.
1: Pop of a lifetime, I would say pop of a lifetime, but Kerry wins the the world title in May, so it's hard to 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 put it over that. But you know, it's just uh, they play the Hey Hey Goodbye song to Michael Hayes, and uh, life is good in Von Erick country. <laughs>
0: It really was. I mean, they were the clear winners here. And once again, my, my only complaint, I know I probably do uh, too much. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a booking from the couch. I mean, if you're going to keep the Freebirds in Dallas, which they did. And by the way, I think that's a bad move when you – Promise everyone that this is a loser leaves match, and three months later, the guy's back. So, who's going to believe the next time you make a promise to the fans? I mean, I, th- I thought it would have been the perfect ending to the feud and just bring the Freebirds back in a year or so. Uh, I'm not sure what you're going to do wi- in that year because I remember World Class was when the Freebirds were gone for a little while. It was like, okay, it's the Von Erics against Kamala and the Super Destroyers. And it was like, it just wasn't a lot of fun without the Freebirds.
1: I hear you, but and but they had set it up so well, um, or as early as the it was the end of September when Michael Hayes teamed with Devastation, teamed with Kamala in Fort Worth, it Kamala Mongol and uh, Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes Kamala comes over and Michael Hayes slaps him on the chest for a pin for a tag because Kamala doesn't understand tags, and Kamala raises his hand over to about to knock the crap out of uh, Michael Hayes and it's wait a minute wait a minute oh my gosh the Freebirds versus Von Erichs you haven't even I mean Freebirds versus Devastation you haven't even thought of this dynamic and that's why the Freebirds could stay because they had this new dynamic now of of this triangle feud. Of the Freebirds uh, versus Devastation, so well done, and so that's one thing that kept the Freebirds fresh in the area.
0: And when the, you know they brought in Killer Khan and Killer Khan turned on the Freebirds and, and sided with Devastation, I actually liked that uh, that they did that triangular feud. You know, the Freebirds are feuding with the Von Ericks and Devastation, and the Von Ericks and Devastation don't like each other. My only thing and maybe this is, you know, too smart fan ish or whatever, is that for to me it's hard to, you don't, to me, you don't want the fans cheering for Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy one night, and then a week later, you hate them when they're f- fighting the Von Eriks. I think wrestling, it, that feels like more like a, a real sport to me, so that part of me likes it. But the wrestling booker in me is like, you, you, wrestling needs to be kept linear. You have the good guys here, the bad guys here, and the sides never, there's no middle.
1: I understand where you're coming from, and I I remember at the time it was kind of weird, and it was that's why it was so great when Terry Gordy uh it, it became a solo, you know they they left and went to the WWF, and Gordy immediately came right back and feuded with Killer Khan, and you know people were so ready to cheer him uh, that was, and they have that great Thanksgiving '84 um, Texas Death Match, you know one thing I want to say is. You know, we, I concentrating on the Von Eriks winning these matches. But, you know, if you're not that big on the Von Eriks and everything, watch the heels during the show uh, in the big matches and see what they're doing. The work rate, you know, I know we didn't talk work rate back then. It was how exciting no. it was. But watch how they did. Um, you know, the, the the heels were so, so great. Um, I want to say this uh, because Hayes lost. You know, um, a week later on December second at the Sportatorium, they had they had a six man, and it because the Freebirds had to defend their their six man title, and it was Gordy, Buddy, and Rick Flair defending against the Von Ericks, and Flair loses to David. Flair uh, had just lost to David in Fort Worth uh, that uh, that Monday before after Thanksgiving because originally on Thanksgiving night, they announced that it was going to be David versus Flair that following week in Fort Worth, and the winner would face Flair, I mean, face race on Christmas. But during the show, and I, I, I didn't have a place to put this in for you yet, but during the middle of this show, they announced that Rick Flair has won the title from Race. What a neat deal! And David comes to the ring and does this interview. And they're still going to have Flair and Kevin, uh, Flair and David fight in Fort Worth the following week. But then Flair versus David is going to be the, the Christmas show. And, you know, David does an interview in the ring during that show talking about the fact he's going to be facing him and that uh, tickets are on sale in the box office right now. So it was one of those deals, you know, we Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) we (laughs) knew, you know, how that works. I I do. You know, the, we're running out of time. This is always the fastest hour of my week. And and Lance, thanks for coming on. One thing I I do want to talk about, maybe for a, a couple of minutes. I do disagree that David. You said you didn't think David was winning the title. The way I saw it is that the promotion had kind of booked itself into a corner where David almost had to win the title, or he was going to lose all face. So. I, you know Was he promised the NWA title is the big question that's been out there for 40 years. I think promised is probably the wrong word, but I, I think that was the plan. And again, I think it's the plan because, you know, David, it's almost like he had to win or you know, what do you do with him from there? But I mean, why didn't you think
1: it would have been short? It would have had to been like Kerry because, you know, Sam wasn't in charge anymore and that was their ally. And they they had they weren't going to go with anything but Steamboat and Flair at the Meadowlands.
0: Yeah. Hey, I've talked about this on the show before. I mean, I am driving to the Meadowlands, you know, not knowing who the NWA champion wow. was or what match I was going to be seeing, but it all worked out. I agree. It, I think David would have gotten it, but it would have been short. And, you know, j- just like what Kerry got. And I think, David, you know, I, I'm... The number one guy who thinks David Von Erich would have had a huge career had he not passed away prematurely.
1: The secret was he was well-liked by the legends early on. They all, and that's why he's so well-talked about. You know, his matches with Garvin are not that dynamic compared to Garvin and Adams, but he had something. He could work with anybody. He he was, you know, and, and they liked him a lot. And I think that we would have thought of him on that Terry level. I really do. If he had lived and, you know, gone through everything, because I think he would have traveled. I don't think there would have been any way for him not to have traveled. I think maybe some of that was because he had lost a child here early on. And is and I, and maybe that got him out on the, on the road a little bit more and the whole Florida thing, because that Florida boy, that taught him a lot going to Florida and he comes back and he is all about the personality. He is he, now on the microphone. He is incredible compared to the others, but honestly, I, as a teenager, I didn't care about the microphone. I went bell to bell. Um, and, and that's a lot of people look back on that as how, you know, they're, all the interviews are not that great. And I know mics are, are tough to watch. You, you get that funny feeling when Mike's having an interview, you, you just worry for him. But they were selling the tickets and, you know, <laughs> it all worked out.
0: <laughs> I, I have always been a defender of. You know, Bob Backlund's interviews until about the beginning of 1983, Bruno Sammartino, Kerry Von Erich, Kevin Von Erich, they're the straight man. They go out there and they speak to you on TV the way Tom Seaver would, the, the way Magic Johnson would, uh, the way Guy LaFleur would, you know, just tone down. And it's the bad guys that are supposed to be the weirdos out of control, bragging about everything. So I, I've always, like I said, I've always been a fan of, of Kerry and Kevin's mic work. I know. Kerry had a few moments every now and then where what he said didn't make sense. But, I mean, I I get the genre of that interview. Lance, thank you for taking the time and coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: I couldn't have liked it any better. It was just wonderful. You got my number one subject. I think I threw everything that I could at you. Uh, It was wonderful. And, again, I appreciate all the guys on the Facebook group. Um, It's just been fantastic being a part of it.
0: Well, thank you again. And I mean, I got really lucky picking you for this show. I had no (laughs) idea this was like your event. So thank you again. I want to thank Brian Lass for giving me uh, this forum on Sticks Wrestling. I want to thank Lou Kippelman for all the great work he does producing this podcast. This has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Go Vols. Let's have a miracle against Georgia. This concludes our podcast day.